Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. Ash Wednesday marks the beginning of a season of preparation for Easter called Lent. Uh, So 46 days ago, we gathered in this very room uh, to confess our sin together and to receive ashes in the shape of a cross on our foreheads, which is a sign of repentance. And so children and senior adults, some who are battling life-threatening diseases, others who are young and well, all came forward to be marked with the symbol of their death in the shape of our salvation. And so all during Lent, we've been confessing our sin together each week, and every week we've kind of asked God to forgive us for our tendency toward anger and jealousy, our propensity toward greed and unforgiveness. And let's just be honest, Lent is a kind of a sombering few weeks in the Christian calendar. And so part of the proclamation and the good news this morning is that that season is over. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And so today we enter into a brand new season. And so while Lent was six weeks of confession and lament and self-reflection, Easter is a seven-week season, beginning today, of celebration, resurrection, and new life. And so do you get the theme, six weeks of Lent, seven weeks of Easter, because in the kingdom of God, the feast always outlasts the fasts. Amen? So today we gather in celebration around the proclamation that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. You guys know it. Uh, I love how the resurrection story is told uh, in the Gospel of John. It's found in John chapter 20. Uh, If you have your Bibles, you can go there or click there. And this morning, I have asked my friend Julia to come up and read it for us. So let's welcome Julia. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus had loved, and said, they have, taken him, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at, at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then... Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside of the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over, the, over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and, at the, and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put them. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was a gardener, she said, sir, if you would carry 
If you, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to, my, to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Mag Magdalene went to the other disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them all the things that he had said to her. Thank you, Julia. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, John, the gospel writer, gives us a couple of clues as to what is really important and to help us understand what he is trying to get across in his resurrection story. The first clue is right when the story begins. He says, on the first day of the week. Now, this is certainly true because the event took place on a Sunday, but there's, in fact, more to it than that. Because John, you see, organizes his gospel in a series of signs. The first sign is way back several chapters when Jesus turns water into wine in the wedding at Cana. Now, by the time you get to resurrection, there have been seven signs, with resurrection then being the eighth sign. And so the eighth sign on the first day of a week is a literary way of saying this is the first sign of a new kind of week. Are you with me? Or you might be able to say, this is the first sign of new creation. Now, to nail the point down even further, when the resurrected Jesus asks Mary, why are you crying and who are you looking for? The text says that Mary thought that he was a gardener, uh, which is a little bit like the Bible saying, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is, not, this is a nudge to the creation story. There's something else going on. So you combine, the, the, you combine this with the signs and the first day of the week, and you see that the gospel writer, John, is adamant that resurrection day is the first day of a new creation. And so resurrection, in other words, isn't just a neat trick that God pulls off as if to say, hey, look what I can do, right? And sometimes we understand resurrection to be that, right? That it's sort of like God is so powerful he can make this happen. And yes, that's true, but there's so much more going on. It is rather the first marker of a new creation where death will be no more. In fact, this is what Jesus' whole ministry is all about. It, he goes on proclaiming the arrival of a kingdom of God which will culminate in new creation. Now today we're starting a brand new series called The Beautiful Gospel. And I want to just let you know right up front that the good news of the beautiful gospel is not that God is going to ditch this place in favor of another one, but rather it's that God is right now seeking to remake the world and he is looking for partners. Amen? Now, when you know that when you order something on Amazon... Uh, you get an email that says your item has been packaged and shipped. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, and Amazon also does this crazy thing. When you order multiple items, sometimes they're coming from different sellers. And so at the bottom of that email, it will sometimes say items may arrive in a different box, right? They may arrive in multiple boxes. Uh, well, I want you to think of it this way. Jesus' ministry is the email proclamation that God's new world has been packaged and shipped it is on the way. 
Oh, that's pretty good, right? Now, this, this is, it gets even better, I promise. Then Easter, that is resurrection, is the first thing from new creation that has arrived on our doorstep. Oh, man, the Messiah who has conquered death. Now, when we see today, in light of Ash Wednesday, what you have is this really beautiful ashes to beauty story. Ashes to beauty. Where we, where we wear ashes to symbolize repentance, Easter and resurrection is all about celebration of forgiveness and new life where we wear ashes to symbolize our own mortality, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ and the hope of resurrection for us. And where we lament that all is not right with the world, we celebrate today that a new creation is coming. Ashes to beauty. It's a powerful narrative. But what I want to tell you this morning, and some of you are saying, yeah, that sounds familiar. I think Pastor Andy preached that message several Easter's ago, and yeah, I do. I preach it every single Easter because I think we need a good reminder. Hey, sweetie. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to tell us this morning that the Easter story, our story, doesn't actually begin there. You see, our story doesn't begin with ashes. Our story begins with beauty and blessing. In Genesis chapter 1, we're told the story of creation. Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And it's important to remember that these passages are not scientific, a scientific retelling of how God created. Um, any attempt to turn those into that will be a dead end pretty quickly. But rather what they are is a creation... They're showing us that creation narrative is to teach us about the human condition and the nature of who God is. And the first thing that we learn from, from these, these narratives is that, the, that God created the world and called it good. So what we learn is that humanity is fashioned in the image of God and given the great gift of relationship with God, relationship with creation, and relationship with one another. And so the beginning of the story is actually filled with beauty and blessing. But here's the temptation. The temptation is to begin the story in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3 is where sin enters the picture. You may remember the story. It's the story of that. It's that kind of weird story you've learned if you grew up in church or have been in church. You've probably learned this kind of odd-sounding story about Adam and Eve and a snake. Right? That's Genesis chapter 3. And about something about forbidden fruit, stuff they shouldn't have eaten. The temptation for us is to actually begin the story in Genesis chapter 3 and ignore Genesis 1 and 2. Now, we probably, we like to start our story there because it presents us with a problem. And as modern Westerners, we love to begin with problems because then we can move quickly to the solution, right? It's the more practical way to approach our story. But here's the problem. If we begin with sin and ashes, we run the risk of coming to some pretty poor conclusions. You see, if we start the story with ashes, we run the risk of thinking that we, humanity, or more specifically, you, are all bad or fundamentally broken or a person of no value or deserving of the wrath of God just for being you. 
and believing at the core of who we are that we are all bad and broken and deserving of wrath can often lead to self-hatred, right? It can lead to thinking that our bodies are bad. It can lead to thinking that creation is bad. And so if we start the story with ashes, then the good news of Jesus Christ begins with the proclamation, you are terrible. (laughs) And it all of a sudden doesn't start to sound like very good news. In fact, it can lead us to believe that the gospel is all about doing away with creation and saving our souls for a disembodied existence. Maybe you've heard that before. But as we've already learned and as I want to reiterate on this Easter Sunday, our story is not about kind of getting out of here in favor of somewhere else. Our story is about a God who loves us enough that he would remake the world and invite us as partners. The point is new creation. And so my Easter encouragement to you this year is actually quite simple. Let's not make the mistake of taking all of our cues from sin and rebellion in Genesis chapter 3, but let's rather take all of our cues about our own story from God's purposes and the human condition that are found in Genesis 1 and 2. Author and theologian, Franciscan father Richard Rohr talks about how God's incarnation, which is a fancy theological word for talking about God's revelation of himself or enfleshment of himself, he talks about how incarnation begins with creation, that the whole creation is filled with the beauty of God and soaked in his presence, and how each human being bears the image of God. How appropriate it is, then, that even the Christian calendar does not begin with Lent. (laughs) The Christian calendar begins with Advent, a season of anticipation, and then gives birth to Christmas. Yes, pun intended. (laughs) And so as wonderful our narrative of ashes to beauty is, let's tell the story as it appears in our very own scriptures. It isn't so much ashes to beauty as much as it is beauty to ashes to beauty. You see, here's the thing. The ashes we wear during Lent are true. Yes, we are a broken people. Yes, we are in need of the Messiah. We are in need of a rescuer. But it isn't just because, oh, we're all bad and hopeless, but rather it's, because, it's, it's true that we are lost in our sin and we wear our ashes, but it's true in a more beautiful way. Because yes, we are prone to sin, we have much to lament, we sin against God and creation and each other. These things are true, but they don't describe who we are intended to be. And so the good news of the beautiful gospel is that each and every one of you are precious and lovely and bear the image of God. The good news of the beautiful gospel is that each and every one of you are precious and lovely and bear the image of God. You are crowned with glory and honor. You have unsurpassable worth and value. And so here's my invitation. As we sit in ashes, as we wear ashes, become aware of our own brokenness, we have in fact been invited to return to God. 
You see, repent, when we begin at the beginning, beauty to ashes to beauty, repentance becomes not sort of like this, this fundamental direction other than or away from something, but rather it becomes a return to God. Repentance becomes a return to that which is already beautiful in us. It becomes a return to the, the, the humanity that God stamped in us in the beginning. Amen? It's a beautiful way of understanding the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, even as we wear our ashes, we are invited to return to God, to return to the ways of God, to return to communion with God and creation and one another. But here's the thing, that just like any other journey, this return to God begins with a single step. And so, my, so this Easter, I imagine in a room this size with people from, of all different ages, we are all on different points of a spiritual journey. Some may be following Christ for years, others not yet a person of faith, some who think, oh, this is just a bunch of crazy talk. Wherever you're at, I invite you to see the beautiful story that begins not with, you are terrible, but begins with you are crowned with glory and honor, a creation of God, and you bear his image. And yes, you've been broken by sin, as we all have, and now the invitation is to return and come back to the ways of God once again. Amen? Now, I could give a whole bunch of things about what that means for you specifically, but I would rather just leave that up to you in your own discernment and your work in communion with the Spirit of God to say, what is it? What is a step that I need to take to return to God once more? Let me say a word of prayer, and then I'll lead us to the table for communion today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, as tempted as we are to begin the story with the problem of sin and death, God, on this Easter morning, we want to begin the story in the beginning and recognize your tremendous love for each and every one of us, that each one of us have been stamped with the image of God. Lord, help that truth to sink into us. Those those who struggle with self-hatred, those who have low self-confidence, those um, whose self-talk is so negative, God, I pray that you would lift them up today with the beautiful truth that each and every one is endlessly loved by you. God, may that ring true, not just in our minds, but may it ring true in our hearts. May we experience this truth so that it might be real to us today. And so, God, in this place, as we gather all ages, may your spirit be freely at work to encourage us today. May we have hearts and ears to receive the beautiful gospel. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In just a moment, I'm going to invite each one who would like to come forward and receive communion today. Uh, and in fact, communion is open to all ages, so if you would like, as parents, we'll let you make the decision on whether your children receive 
uh, communion, that'll be up to you. If that's something you want your children to receive, just indicate that, and we'll be happy to serve them uh, right where they are. But we believe that the grace of God is active at the table today. And so come, uh, those who are hungry, to experience God and know more of Him. You are invited to the table. You don't have to be a member of our church uh, to come, we just ask that you are hungry for God. That's the one requirement. Are you hungry for God? Then you are welcome to come and eat at his table. What are we to make of this day? When graves are opened and the dead awakened, when life refuses to be contained, we are to realize that nothing is impossible, that hope is never extinguished, and love never conquered. We celebrate you today, Jesus, because you made it clear that death does not have the last word. You have filled us again with hope and faith. You have given us a vision of new possibilities, new realities, and new ways of being. May we learn to embrace the mystery of that which we cannot yet fully explain, and may our hearts hope for that which we cannot yet fully see. May we learn to live and to love while death and despair are all around us. You see, resurrection happened because Christ was first prepared to die. But then, defying death, he refused to release his hold on life and love. And so now we choose to gather around this table to remember so that we too can truly live through Christ, who on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So now, Lord of life, we share in this meal, celebrate together, and remember you. And we will continue to do this until resurrection has flooded the entire creation. Amen.